Hi everyone, uh, Hassan here from Ref6. Uh, I have the honour, privilege um, to be joined by Carol Ann Chenard from Canada. Um, she's a FIFA referee with an incredible history in the game um, and I'm super excited to pick her brains today. How are you doing? Doing really well, looking forward to, uh, to having this chat. Perfect. Um, so uh, before we go in, like how, how is this we're in a strange time. How how are you uh, kind of adapting your your life to, to this time? Um, I know you're in healthcare, so you're continuously working. I assume. Yeah, um, a really crazy time. You're right. I don't think it's anything anyone expected. Um, I'm working from home, which is very different. Uh, I normally go into the office every day. I do work for our federal Department of Health, so. Um, we are working very hard to try and enable some of the, you know, life-saving healthcare that's uh, required, and making sure our frontline uh, service providers have what they need. Making sure we're, you know, fast-tracking and trying to get uh, approvals of new drugs and new medical devices and that kind of thing. So it's been interesting and busy from that standpoint. Mm. And I think, you know. Uh, every life continues, right? We have to train. We, you know, we want to see people. We want to be connected with people. So I'm lucky enough, you know, I can train at home. I'm a lot more Zoom calls. I, I didn't know Zoom existed before this. So a lot more face-to-face -face calls, but trying to stay connected with my family and friends as well. Oh, that's great. That's, uh, and and thanks for giving us the time. And we're not using Zoom, we're using Skype, but um, uh, other other web conferencing kits are available. <laughs> uh, oh, oh, shoot, yes. Yeah, oh, 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 do oh, do that? No, 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 that's fine. No, we, we don't, um, we, we don't get, we're not the BBC or whatever the public airlines <laughs> <laughs> are, so it's fine. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm super intrigued to, like I said, when I looked through your history, it was incredible. But what I want to do is take you all the way back to the start and how did you get involved in football in the first place? And what made you take off a whistle? Sure. So, I mean, my very first memory of soccer was me playing small-sided soccer on a dirty, dirt-filled field um, and really enjoying myself and enjoying um, just being outside. And um, I did play soccer, um, you know, relatively competitively within our city, but nothing uh, too spectacular. And it was actually my, my coach, uh, made our whole team take a refereeing course. So um, it was part of um, his, he wanted us to understand the laws and be able to, to you know, deal with referees and that kind of thing. So I took the course with my team and those of us that were successful, we were, um, you know, he also worked for the association. So he said, if you want to make a little bit of money, you know, how about you start refereeing, you know, like what I call swarm soccer, which is, you know, seven side little mm -hmm. kids running all over. <laughs> and, um, so I did that, um, you know, kind of to make a little bit of money for uh, for university. This was a long time ago, so it wasn't a ton of money, but uh, mm. it was really fun. And, you know, I kind of progressed from there, did a few house league games. And then um, it was actually a Friday night, um, uh, an old, what we call old timer soccer, so over 35. And okay. so I guess, it, it, you know, back then it seemed old, but now it seems young. I'd <laughs> like to be 35 again. Um, uh, it was they, I refereed an old-timers game, and they actually wrote to uh, our provincial associations, so it would be equivalent to like our state-level association, mm -hmm. and uh, said, somebody needs to come see this girl referee. Like We think she's pretty good. And it kind of snowballed from there, and I got more and more opportunities. And it definitely wasn't something I saw myself getting into, but uh, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I'm really lucky, and I'm, I'm happy that they wrote the letter. I don't remember the team, but I'm really happy because I can. I do remember I don't enjoy. I didn't enjoy refereeing old timers on Friday night, so sure. um, you know, I'm really appreciative for for that letter that they took the time to write. 
Yeah, that's amazing. Um, do you do you think you would have got the opportunity hadn't that letter been been sent in, or it would have taken um, longer? <laughs> I, I mean, I'd like to think so. I'd like to think that um, people would have seen my potential, but I do think you know this is part of referee retention, right? There's that carrot. You know, mm-hmm. they're t- the refereeing so difficult. It, it does take sometimes somebody to pat you on the back or to give you an opportunity to really make you realize the contribution that you're you, you know for the hard work that you're putting in. Sure, and and. Uh, I, I assume the old time timers league that you were refereeing on was that male men's or women's games? Yeah, it was a men's old timers okay. game, and uh, you know it's the type of game that they're all friends. Well, they say they're friends off of the field. They don't seem to be friends on the field, sure. but uh, it was you know I really did uh, enjoy myself. Now that I look back, maybe some of the times there were some games that were difficult in that league, but looking back, uh, I look back on it fondly. And and when you started out and you you did youth and men's and women's games did you how did you you, did you ever have any fear about doing any of those um and how did you overcome that if you did yeah so I think the anytime you do your first game at any level there's always a, a lot of anxiety I don't I think every step that I've taken there's been anxiety in that first game and mm-hmm. um so I was really lucky first of all that my parents really took a real interest in my refereeing. So when I moved from being a ref, being a soccer player to a referee, um, they looked at it just like I was any other athlete. My dad loves to come watch me referee. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, to the point when I was a teenager, I really tried to hide my schedule from him. But, um, you know, he himself was a, a speed skating referee. And I think that support was really important now that I look back on it. You know, I always said I didn't want him to come. But I think knowing he was there and, you know, that he would really take a, uh, a real honest look at my game was really helpful. Mm-hmm. Um and I, I do think surrounding yourself with people who are going to support you who, and who understand refereeing in the refereeing sense, that was really helpful for me. I was one of the few women um, in my city at the time, um, but I did have a good kind of mentorship group that um, was helpful to me when I went into these new games. And they were a little bit protective of me, which was nice, but they gave me the sense of calm I needed. Um, and I always have found that the second game is easier than the first game. So mm-hmm. then it's just about, uh, you know, and, and at times I've needed somebody to, kick, you know, give me a little kick in the butt yeah. to not be so nervous. And, mm-hmm. um, I have a really great story about my very first professional men's game. Sure. Um, I was doing my PhD and I was in Montreal and, um, I checked my email one day and all of a sudden there was this appointment and I just assumed it was an appointment for, um, Montreal fourth official type thing because I'd done a few fourth officials in the league and when I opened it up it was Vancouver Whitecaps and I thought to myself wow they're, they're sending me to Vancouver to referee like to be a fourth official yeah and uh, when I read it further it was that I was going to Vancouver to referee um, in the middle and immediately my immediate instinct was to turn my computer off so <laughs> I like shut like minimized the window and I left and you know I was already nervous and um uh, it, it took me a couple of days. And when I mentioned it to my dad, he said to me, well, Caroline, like, do you think you're not as good as the referees that are refereeing in this league? And I said, no, I know I can do it. And he's like, well, then what are you waiting for? Yeah. And he, and he kind of said to me, like, you have, you know, three or four weeks before this game, you can't be this nervous for four weeks. You're going to make yourself <laughs> sick. So, you know, like accept it, suck it up and then get ready. And, for get the ready game. For and um, that I, I, I needed that push. And so that was really great. That's amazing. What 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 year was that one? 
That would have been in 19, uh, no, sorry, in 2005. <laughs> okay, okay. That aged me a so that was the Canadian, um, the Canadian League, right? So it was, I think at the time, so it was, it was a league that was, it kind of switched between like the A-League, the USL and the NASL. I can't okay. remember which it was, but so this was the league that Vancouver and Montreal and Toronto played in before the, M- um, the MLS existed. So it was, I remember it fought, it was Vancouver Whitecaps against the Minnesota team. And uh, um, I can still, re- I can still see Minnesota was playing in some type of green uniform. Amazing. It was, uh, but yeah, really, I, I, I have a hard time remembering details about sure. games from a long time ago, but this is one that sticks uh, in my mind for of sure. Course, yeah. Um, at any point during your career, I assume you must have had to be an assistant at some point as well. Um, <laughs> you're smiling. So, so uh, one thing I always like to ask is um, because we have referees um, who listen who might be getting to a point in their career where they have to make a choice between refereeing or assistant, and that they're doing both right now. Um, so always like to hear insight into how you potentially made the decision or, or it was made for you potentially, um, just to give them advice really. Yeah, absolutely. Really good question. For sure. As I was coming up, I was, I was an assistant referee. Um, I think it's a, it's a, a great way to see the game from a totally different view. Um, I thought I was a good, a very good referee. In fact, uh, assistant referee. Sorry, I thought I, you know, I thought I was pretty good when I was doing it, and I thought I gave good support. And uh, um, I mean, I think people in the Canadian Soccer Association might say otherwise now, <laughs> but um, um, I think it really there's a couple things. Um, uh, for me, I'm not saying the decision was made for me, but I think people saw um, a strength in my in my abilities in the in the middle as a as a referee, and really focused on that. Um, and so I think that sometimes you'll find that instinctively kind of as the appointments come, as you move up, you, you're, you're almost like directed into a stream. And that happens often in Canada where, you know, you, by the time you become appointed to the national list, mm-hmm. you're appointed as a referee or an assistant referee. And that decision, I would say 50% of the time comes is almost made for you, right? Or at least sure. directed. It's, it's part of your development. They start moving you into mm-hmm. to a, one stream or the other. Um, I would say, I mean, they are two totally different kind of abilities. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the way a, a top assistant referee sees the field and moves and, and is able to judge these tight, tight, decisions is a very different way than the referee looks at the game, mm-hmm. right? Cause we're looking much more broadly. And sometimes I tell my assistant referee, I know you want me to give you information, but like, if you don't tell me like offside is not something that I'm thinking about. Right. So, yeah. um, for me, it was, I would say a little bit timing, right. I, I was, you know, it's, there weren't very many referees in Canada. They were, you know, we had one of the, one of the top referees in the world at the time, Sonia Denoncourt, who mm-hmm. was, um, still refereeing, um, you know, they were thinking about su- succession planning. That's something that comes up too, right? And sometimes mm-hmm. it's all about timing. And um, But I do think I demonstrated uh, probably much more um, success in my uh, refereeing career than my abilities as a, an assistant an referee, assistant. for sure. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, so now I want to get on to kind of some of the big achievements. And I've got a list and I'm going to listen them all out and then we're probably going to chat for a little bit. <laughs> well, the, these are the things I found. There might be a lot more. So apologies if I've missed anything. That, um, that's, that's, that, And you can highlight anything that I've missed. But um, you've been to two Olympics. 
I believe. 2012 yeah. in London, 2016 in Rio. Um, in London, you refereed uh, Great Britain against Brazil. Um, and I think the group stages, there were 70,000 people there, which was the second largest attendance in that in that group, right? Uh, in that tournament, the, the biggest being the final. So we'll, we'll come back to that because I want to chat about <laughs> London because I, I, I went to a couple of events at the uh, the Olympics there. In Rio in 2016, you were you you, you got the final um, between Germany and Sweden. So that that we'll come back to that as well. Two women's World Cups, um, German in Germany and in your home in Canada. You were part of a group of female referees who went to the 2017 Under 17 Men's World Cup. So that's got to have some interesting um, stories there as well. <laughs> And then I think last year you you led the first ever all women's team in a Canadian Premier League game as well. So it seems just like you've just had an incredibly like one you've travelled everywhere. <laughs> it, it sounds like um, what having me just listed them off. What what are the two or three kind of big memories there that have just it sparks? <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a ton, right? I think. Um... For sure, that game in Wembley, the the Olympics in um, in London, was a huge, huge game. One, you know, it's Wembley Stadium. Mm -hmm. Two, it's the home, um, you know, countries um, playing. It's Brazil. It's um, it's seventy two thousand people, which yeah. doesn't happen all that often. So, um, I think that that was fantastic. Um, I, I think I have memories. You know, I've been doing. You know, my first ever FIFA tournament was in two thousand and eight. Uh, 2007, but yeah, 2000, yeah, 2007, 2000, sure. no, 2008, 2008. <laughs> so my first FIFA tournament was in 2008 and I've had so many wonderful opportunities and I can think of really, really great things that happened in, in every Everyone. one of them. You know, I go back to my very first under twenties in 2008 in Chile and I just remember I didn't referee in the first round, and then I refereed every round until the semifinal. And, um, you know, every game that I would finish because it was my first tournament, I'd say, okay, that was a good game. I can go home now and I can be happy. And then all of a sudden I'd get another game and another game. And I remember leaving there thinking, okay, now I need to do better at the next one. How do you do that, right? That's a whole new, like, yeah. stress and pressure. And then I think about, you know, my first World Cup in Germany. And I and there's great, you know, I did a semifinal with, like 11 fouls like who does a semi-final with 11 <laughs> fouls it was, it was like the most beautiful game to just watch and be part of and then you know I talk about the two world cups in my own country and then being you know the one of the first women to to participate with another group of uh, with other women in this men's under 17 I mean I've been really really blessed mm -hmm. to be involved in some really big tournaments and big games and um, big events and I've um, you know I, I you know it's I think I never would have thought of, I would be at, you know, FIFA tournament number nine yeah. um, uh, at this point. So I, I, I'm really happy and blessed uh, to, to have had those opportunities. Brilliant. Um, I, I'd love to touch on a couple specifically, I guess. Um, going, the Olympic final seems to, I, I don't know if you can pick a, a, a pinnacle in any way, shape or form. But when I looked at that in, in Brazil, the American R, um where during the tournament well actually before i go into the game what one thing i've always wanted to know um 
How are the referees treated at the Olympics? Are you in like the players, uh, the athletes' village, or are you kept separate? Do you go to the Olympic, uh, the opening ceremony, or are you kept like? I'm just intrigued. Are you... <laughs> so uh, I have two things to say. So well, many things to say, but so um, first of all, we're super lucky because um, the Olympics are kind of very different from a FIFA tournament because they are run by the International Olympic Committee. There's a lot of different um, rules around um, advertising and um, who can go and how many officials and where you stay. And, and yes, traditionally officials, they don't stay in the athletes village, but there's something called the officials village, but <laughs> no one I've talks never about seen the, offic the officials village because uh -huh. um, the soccer referees stay in a, we stayed in a hotel because FIFA kind of has um, agree I'm sure there's some agreements, but have kind of taken over management of sure. the, the referees. So we stayed in in hotels, um, out, you know, outside of the village, kind of in both tournaments, um, and uh, you know, because we and we went to training grounds and and things like that. So we're we're really well taken up, uh, looked after. The first tournament, uh, so when I was in London, it was the busiest tournament by far I have ever been to. Um, we had less, you know, a few less officials than normal. So we were refereeing like every second day or traveling at least every second day. Of course it was, you know, in London, but the games were all over. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and because of my schedule, I traveled to all three national stadiums. So I went to nice. Scotland, I went to Wales and then I refereed in, um, in London. So a lot of travel, it, you know, it was like, we almost didn't see each other, all of the referees together. Like we would do a quick debrief after every round of games, but then we were out the next day. So super, super busy. I saw nothing other than soccer and the hotel. <laughs> okay. um, but some officials did get to go to the opening ceremonies. So at the next Olympics, when <laughs> I got to Brazil, I was lucky enough to not have to referee the day after the opening ceremonies. And so I was part of the group of referees that got to go see an opening ceremony. And as you know, I was an elite athlete um, in, in short track speed skating before. And then I always thought I would go to the Olympics as an athlete and then to be able to go, I mean, I still consider myself an, as an athlete, but as an official, as a referee, um, to be able to be in um, the stadium when the opening ceremonies took place was really something special. And I'm really happy that, um, you know, the scheduling maybe took into consideration that I had missed out the first time and uh, got to see it the second time around. That's amazing. Um, and, and then I guess to me, um, a couple of things. One is the, the Women's World Cup. Have you seen the progression grow like since Germany to Canada and watching um, last year? Like what's what's changed, I guess? Well, first of all, I mean, when in Germany in 2011, like I thought that tournament really put women's soccer, you know, at a different level. It was, I talked to people who I don't think had ever watched a women's football game ever. Mm -hmm. And they just loved watching Germany, right? It was really competitive. It was one of the first tournaments where there weren't a whole lot of blowout games. Yep. Um, the the games were, were, you know, everything that people love about soccer. They were fast, they were physical, they were exciting. Um, you know, that just happened. And I thought, oh, this, this is really wonderful. And the thing is, is women's soccer has progressed consistently since then. Mm -hmm. So there's more teams, the, you know, it's super competitive, it's fast soccer. Um, you know, it's just grown leaps and bounds And in countries that before, you know, where there was only maybe a handful or a dozen countries that really had strong women's programs. The fact of the matter is that there's, you know, now in countries that, you know, 
hardly had any women's soccer. They're now coming out and supporting women's soccer mm -hmm. and the referees, right? There are more women's referees refereeing professional men's soccer than ever before. And yeah. that's just, that showcases the ability um, of our officials. And uh, I think it's great. I think on that point, obviously, Stephanie uh, seemed to be like the pinnacle last year of having just, she probably had the best 2018 of any official, right? Um, yeah. First game in uh, the, the league in France, then obviously went on to the World Cup and refereed the final in her home country. And then the, U, uh, the UEFA Super Cup, which was incredible. So, um, yeah, it's, I, I just feel like for, for, it, it seems to be that, you know, there's a buzz around women's football. But also uh, women referees as well. It's just it's just incredible watching um, and seeing kind of what should be happening, right? <laughs> it should be happening, and we shouldn't be talking about it. Um, but 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 Absolutely. it's getting to a point. Yeah, I think what we say right is we are all we want to be we want to be talking about referees. Yep. Not women's referees, not men's referees, about referees. And I think you know last year Stephanie just showed, um, and it doesn't matter mm -hmm. that. Players want a good referee. Referees want to be good referees. No referee wants to make a mistake. And it doesn't matter whether you're male or female. It's about the quality of the official on the field. And um, I think that's the most important. Yeah. Do you, uh, Just out of interest, do you approach men's and women's games differently? Like, do you have to have a different skill set for the different games in any way? So I don't think I approach the games any differently, mm -hmm. but for sure there are small things that are different, right? Sometimes it's a personality thing, how, how I can, um, how I communicate with men and my man management uh, on the male side might be slightly different than my man management on in a female game. But that's, but that really is about reading the game. It doesn't mean mm -hmm. I, it's not one thing for in a male game and one, you know, one way in a women's game. It really is about get feeling out the personalities, sure. right? They're, there are 22, at least 22 personalities, and, and then you go outside, um, you know, with the coaches and, and everybody else um, on the field. So it's about being able to read what's going to work best in the situation. But for sure, there are differences, and, you know, sometimes it's about how, how I have to read the game, how I have to move to get good angles for different types of, of fouls, that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I think the approach, I mean, it's 11 versus 11, same laws, everyone has the same goal, and in the end, so um, you know, I think we have to look at it that way. Oh, great, and and the last thing, just on on, on some of the the these uh, previous tournaments, was the the men's the under seventeen. I, I, I don't know if they're men's or yeah, <laughs> boys uh, World Cup, where where you went out as as part of the teams. Uh, seven seven uh, f female support referees, right? That was the. Um, how was that? Was that. Um, like, did you have a clue that that was going to happen? Were, were, were they even talking about it or just came in the, in the email again? It, yeah, basically. So first I, you know, we were, I was looking at the, as part of, because I have a job and I think also as part of your training planning, you really look kind of, you know, a year, six months, even longer in advance so that you can plan kind of your schedule, your training, if you have other commitments kind of around that. So I had looked up the year and, um, and we were had some um, some qualifying coming up at CONCACAF, so I knew that there was a few tournaments here and there. And we were coming up on um, a camp for our national program, and um, I, I ended up getting this message from the head of referees for Canada Soccer, Isaac Raymond, and he says to me, how's everything going? I said, fine. How's training? Oh, good. We're about six weeks out, I said, from national camp, so 
I have, I think I'm doing really well. I think I'm ready. You know, we're talking about the men's test and that kind of thing. And, um, and then he's, I said, Oh, you know, I'm looking forward to going to, to, uh, the Concord Catholic course. And he says, Oh, you're not going. I think to myself, Oh, why am I not going? Mm -hmm. And he, and I'm thinking, Oh, you know, there's some tournaments and I'm thinking, Oh no, like from a timing perspective, what's happening? Where are they? That kind of thing. And he goes, you're going to India. And I said, what's in India? Mm -hmm. Like, I don't like, and all of my planning, there was no tournament in India. And it turns out he goes, Oh, the men's under 17. And I said, the men's under 17. And then I get the, you know, we get the email from FIFA, which explains a little bit more. And so it was, and I mean, FIFA, they even called after, you know, Carrie, Carrie Sykes just gave us a call to say like, I just want to like, you know, explain how this happened and why you found out kind of last minute and you had, well, not last minute, but you had heard about it before and that kind of thing. So super excited. The group of women that were there were fantastic um, and uh, really good friends. And so that helps. Um, and yeah, we, we got to go a fantastic tournament. You know, everyone asked the question of like, how was the integration between the men and the women? And it was really great. Mm -hmm. Um, everybody was super supportive and positive, um, about the interactions, obviously very different scenario for them, you know, having us in their tournament and that kind of thing. And then, you know, to have Esther Staubli from Switzerland, be able to referee a game there. So we went to support officials, but to have the opportunity to do a game and to do so well, I think was really fantastic. And we were only there for the, um, for the, the group stage, but a super, super great opportunity and, uh, you know, real learning experience on how to support, um, you know, to be the best you can to support the, the officials the best way you can. That's amazing. Well, um, I'm intrigued because I knew a lot of it that it was happening in India, but we didn't get much streamed back, um, on TV. So how did the, the, the country as a whole take obviously it's an under 17 world cup so it's maybe not as it's not obviously the same as a, a world cup but was there a lot of support out um it's a cricket nation right <laughs> absolutely cricket nation yeah because i mean even some of the games were you know in one of the cricket stadiums kind of uh you know in a sense but um you know i think the support was pretty good i think uh you know it was hot yeah. okay, first of all it was hot like really hot like I I felt for some of those those guys running out there because it was hot and it was kind of rainy season two a little bit yeah. uh so I think but they had you know that the really positive thing was I mean it was, they were so behind the Indian soccer team like you know okay. tons of fans there um you know I think you know in some of the stadiums maybe it wasn't full in the round robin but the support was definitely there it was on tv there was a lot of you, you saw the ads and you saw mm -hmm. they were interviewing the players so you know, you really saw the, and telling the stories of the players, which I think was really helpful because you're right. It came out a lot. This is a cricket nation. You know, we want people behind football and, and they really kind of stepped up and came out and cheered. And even, you know, for me, when it was like so, so hot, uh, yeah. they really, uh, really stepped it up and, uh, made it a great, great, great tournament. Yeah. I, I'm my dad's Indian. So, um, I have this vision, uh, in one, <laughs> one year, uh, in, in 20 years time, there'll be, a World Cup in India, I hope. I, I think I, I think it's got to happen. It's possible. Um, I wanna I wanna kind of touch upon uh, twenty eighteen for you, because it was um, uh, uh, I, I I don't know. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it seemed like a roller coaster, maybe. Um, so I'd love to chat about you know um, your your you you were meant to be going out to France, um, okay. uh, and obviously things change. So. How did that affect how how did that affect you and 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 more importantly like how how are you today 
and how are you taking the experience for the future? Yeah, absolutely. So 2019 definitely was not, did not go the way that I thought it was going to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, we, the start of the year was crazy busy, right? We were uh, getting ready for the World Cup. Obviously, we had secretly behind the scenes, they were working up on the, the situation regarding video assistant refereeing. So we were, we had just had, um, um, you know, our first camp working on um, video, you know, to get used to video assistant referee. And then we were having second tournaments and I had, you know, a really good start to the season. I felt really fit. Um, we had done a few games, right? We had had some tournaments that were, um, um, we had gone to the all cast cup and we had some other camps where we were refereeing games and they had gone really, really well. I was, my team was working really well together. I, we were definitely like, this was how you want your five months before the world cup to go. So it was super positive. Um, and then a couple weeks, literally before leaving for the world cup, I was, you know, experiencing a little bit of like, um, pain in my breastbone. And, you know, I I had tried many different things to try and get rid of it. And it was seeming to me like, um, like inflammation that I just couldn't get rid of. And I didn't know why. And, um, I ended up going to the doctor and that's when, um, you know, they died, they found this lump and, um, and uh, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. And so that was literally Friday before leaving for the World Cup on Tuesday was the day I was supposed to be leaving was when I when I met with uh, my oncologist and, and received that news. And so for sure, I mean, the first thing, it's like super scary, right? Like, mm-hmm. um, you, you know, it's I yeah, I mean, by the time in the two weeks that everything kind of went super quickly because it really was super, super quick, the kind of steps, because I had said like, I'm leaving. I, I need at least a little bit of information if I'm going to go or come back mm-hmm. or what's going to happen. And so the doctors were really good to help me with that. Um, but, um, you know, it's really the unknown, right? So I had kind of in my head said, okay, you know, it could be cancer. So I, you know, when they said it was cancer, you know, it's not like it was a, this surprise because I was trying mentally to get myself to that place. Okay. And then, um, my mind immediately turned to like, holy crap, you know, I'm supposed to be leaving for the world cup. Um, I don't really have time like right now to, to, to think about it. Right. Like I yeah. knew in, in a week and a half, um, or, you know, yeah, about, a, about 10 days, you know, like the world would know that I'm not at the world cup. Yeah. So, um, you know, something was going to have to happen. So I really, you know, didn't have a lot of time to process it. Um, first thing I did, um, uh, after I, you know, sat with my, with my mom and a couple of friends was I called the Canadian soccer association to let, um, to let them know. And, um, obviously FIFA is six hours ahead of where we were. So at that point it wasn't like Mm -hmm. I was going to have a conversation then. Um, but, uh, I needed to get in touch with FIFA obviously pretty quickly. So, um, the next morning I talked to, um, my two assistant, well, first I talked to FIFA, so I just let them know and they were super supportive and obviously, um, you know, worried more about my well being than, than anything else. And then my next, probably the two hardest calls I had were to my two assistant referees who were, you know, this was their first World Cup. We had mm. done all of this prep together. And, you know, um, I still, it was really difficult for me to talk about still. Like, it was still, I was nervous. I was, you know, you're half, in, try not to cry. You're yeah. having all these conversations. And 
really for me, the hardest part was the, at the time was the world cup was really like, I had a really hard time, um, with that. Um, and then, um, you know, once I got those kind of that, that Saturday's worth of calls done, I felt a little bit more relieved. I've now told the story probably five or six times. And I, I decided that it was probably time to, I wrote a really quick email to a handful of soccer people that would know. So a couple of the instructors that would be at the world cup and who have known me my entire career and a couple of other people. So it didn't come out. Cause I knew eventually it would probably, yeah somebody would be saying something about the world cup. And, uh, you know, and then, you know, for me, the hardest time was the first week between when I was diagnosed and until we figured out what the next steps were. Right. Sure. Unknown is scary for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and then once, you know, I met with my oncologist he said, this is what we have to do. I said, okay. And he said, when do you want to start? And I was like, can we start today? And yeah. he goes, awesome. And we started, my first chemo was the first, the first day of the world cup. So kickoff mm-hmm. of the world cup, kickoff of Caroline's chemo. Huh. And, you know, really I've, I've, you know, gone from there. It's been difficult. I did, uh, you know, five, five months of chemo. Then I had surgery. I was supposed to do some radiation, had a really terrible infection. So that was put on hold. I'm still doing treatment. I feel really great. Um, I feel really, really great. Um, but I'm still doing treatment and, uh, um, it puts a lot in perspective. I, can I think Im- uh, a diagnosis like that. Yeah, I can imagine. Like, I know it's, it sounds silly. I've never, uh, experienced or had friends or family, uh, experience, uh, cancer, but from, from your background in, in healthcare, I guess, was that easier to process? You kind of knew and expected what was, what the journey would have to look like. Yeah, I think you know. Um, I, I realized the very first appointment, my you know, my mom was with me, and uh, the doctor was going, the oncologist was going through everything, and and I would say, okay, you don't need to be, you don't need to like walk it out in, in lay terms. Like I'm a scientist, so I know what you're talking about. But then I realized that you know it's important also for my mom and my family sure. and stuff to be able to understand it. So, um, but what I do think is that me being an athlete and being attuned more attuned to my body has probably had bigger impact. So first of all, um, I think just the fact that I caught it when, you know, that, that it was really my, me feeling Mm -hmm. the issue. Um, I think the same thing goes with side effects and that kind of thing. Like I can feel any change in my body kind of, which helps the, Mm -hmm. the doctors. Um, I also think I was so lucky. Um, my body was so strong when I was diagnosed. So, Um, it helped me kind of go through some of these terrible, terrible treatments yeah. um, with with less side effects. I won't say I didn't have any because I yeah. did have some, but um, w- I was able to tolerate them a little bit better. Um, but yeah, this it's these aren't easy easy things to deal with, and uh, um, you know I can't say enough about um, the well my medical team. But um, you know the referees at the World Cup, many of them were there for their first time. Some of them are there and they're looking to referee the final and they want to do as well as possible. And um, the support I received from the referees at the World Cup was, and the instructors and the technical staff was phenomenal. So they, every day I had chemo, they had each confederation had made a video for me and um, six confederations, six chemo sessions. So they were sending them to me on the, you know, the day that the World Cup kicked off. I received hundreds and hundreds of messages from them yeah. checking in after every game, you know, even, you know, if they had a game that day checking in and uh, they really helped me because that was really difficult for me not to be at the World Cup was really difficult. 
Um, and they were just like so supportive and continue to be, I continue to get check-ins with everybody. And that's been really helpful from a mental standpoint to be yeah. able to, to kind of just move past the fact that I couldn't go. I mean, it's, 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 that's a tough thing for an athlete to take. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, it's been super helpful to help me kind of mentally move forward from that. Sure. Can I ask, did you watch any games or was it just too hard to? I absolutely watched the games. Okay, good. Um, you know, uh, I think what it did was it, it, you know, there was a couple, I was like, Oh, like, I don't know if I can watch this game, but it actually made me feel better to watch it. Yeah. Um, to watch it. Hey, and you know what? It easier too, right? Mm. <laughs> easier for me to watch them on TV <laughs> than uh, to be refereeing them. But, um, you know, I would know because I was. Uh, you know, I was their cheerleader. I wanted to, you know, they were cheering me on and I wanted to cheer them on. I know how much work goes into getting there and how difficult it is. So whether it was a great game or a game that there was something that they wanted to look at, I wanted to to watch them and cheer them on. And I I wanted to be their teammate. And I was lucky enough to make it to France and watch the final and cheer them on. Oh, really? Oh, amazing. Yes. So I, I, you know, was still, it was after my literally... Three days after my second chemo, I flew to France. My my oncologist would say against doctor's orders, but I didn't ask him, so there were no orders. <laughs> um, and I was able to to be with the team at the the end. Oh, um, so uh, that was a, a really great moment as well. That's incredible. So so you said you're still receiving um, treatment. What what's next for you in uh, in refereeing terms? Uh, is 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 the goal at uh, the ambition to get back on the pitch or do, do you know what you're, is that just not even uh, in your mind at the moment? <laughs> so honestly that, I mean, you know, once I realized I got through the first chemo and I, you know, I didn't have all these really terrible side effects, the next goal became let's get back on the field and let's be ready for the Olympics, you know, in, you know, in 2020. And, um, and that was really the goal. And listen, I had no idea if it was possible. I had no idea kind of, I knew what high level the plan was from a treatment perspective, right? You know what each step is, but I had no idea how I would recover, you know, what, what kind, you know, what, what kind of surgery at the beginning I needed, I didn't even know. And so that would have impacted kind of recovery. And uh, I also didn't know how much I could train during treatment itself. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was able to I'm going to use training and I'm going to use air quotes for, you know, um, those who are listening. Uh, I, I did some form of training throughout the entire treatment and, um, probably more than most people, um, would do, but, um, definitely, uh, had an impact on my body, the, the, the medications and all of the, the chemo and the drugs that they gave, um, to help also changed my body I gained weight or and you start retaining water and all of that kind of stuff so it was really difficult so for me it was like okay when this is done the minute I can start training again I'm going to start training and the goal is let's be fit let's be ready for next season and it's that's been the goal the whole time mm-hmm. um you know I, I I think I'm not where I want to be yet fitness wise I think there's, there's a lot of adjustments you have to make because they put my my body, some of the drugs that I'm taking continue to affect my body. Sure. So it's about what, you know, how much can I train? What can I do? How am I recovering? That kind of thing. And I think I've made like leaps and bounds. My heart resting heart rate during chemo was 90, okay. um, which is super high for me. I mean, I, I had a really low resting heart rate and I finally gotten it you know, 50 and almost below. I had one day that was 49 and I was super excited. So I think that means my body's kind of getting back to normal. Mm -hmm. 
And now with the, I was really hoping, I was like, I'm going to be fit. I'm going to get myself the opportunity to be selected for the, the Olympics. And that's going to be great. Right. And then, and then COVID happened and, and the Olympics are, are delayed. So I'm still training. I don't know what the next goal is to be fair. Right. Mm-hmm. I had, I had kind of in the back of my head said to myself, 2019 world cup, I'm going to finish it FIFA tournament number 10. I'm going to have a great tournament and then I'm going to retire. That was originally my goal, sure. not my goal, but it was my plan. And then I said, you know, I, I don't want the cancer diagnosis to define my, my career. And, uh, you know, I think it gave the training and the goal gave me the mental sanity to keep going and to be positive mm-hmm. and to, to look at, and it kept my body strong. And, you know, from, you know, it, it really helped me through the last 10 months. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I, I don't know exactly what the rest of this year brings, right? Like I'm training to referee, but who knows, you know, if there's going to be a game to referee, right? Yeah, exactly. And, and I also have put my head around, you know, if, if it isn't possible from a physical standpoint um, or if there's changes in my health that that doesn't define my career, that um, it's just something that happens. People get hurt, people get injured. Um, and I, I'm not going to let it, de- you know, make me sad that um, I didn't end it how I thought I would sure. end it. But uh, I think, um, you know, I hope to get back on the field, but we'll, I guess time will tell. Yeah. I, I... I mean, um, fingers crossed, uh, you can you can achieve what you want to achieve. Uh, it seems like a lot more of it is out of our hands than uh, than than ever before. So, um, it, it, yeah, you make the most of the time and uh, and and see where we can go from here. Um, thank you so much for kind of giving us an insight into that because it was obviously, uh, I assume, a very tough period, and um, uh, I'm sure a lot of people were fascinated to hear about your story and and the the camaraderie with your with the officials so thank you so much Uh, i've got a couple of last kind of (laughs) it seems a bit switching gear a little bit so i apologize um but but normally we um we like to ask a couple of questions at the end i have i have some rigid questions just because it's nice to get um different insights to the same questions from different referees um uh, and funny enough, everyone asks, asks, answers the first bit of this question the same. Um, so, what does the perfect referee look like? Question. And what are the main attributes a referee must possess to succeed? Let me start with the second part first. Sure. <laughs> um, so, you have to be self-confident. You have to be able to um, be confident, not only in your decisions, but in all of the training that's led up to you doing whatever game you're going to do. So, um, and that doesn't mean you don't question yourself, right? Referees are, uh, you know, the first person people to, to be the most harsh on themselves, but you have to be self-confident. You have to want to continue to learn. You have to be humble because you will never, well, you hope you are never the spotlight in a game. You want to be kind of under the radar. You obviously have to have good understanding of the laws. You have to be able to adapt because not only, you have to adapt on the field to the players and to the type of game, but the laws continually change and that, you know, you continually need to learn and be open to learning. Mm -hmm. I think you need to have good people skills. You need to be able to manage players on the field. Super, super important. Um, And so, I mean, from that perspective and you need to be physically fit. I mean, the realities of modern soccer is, is super fast. So you need to be physically fit. So, and you have to be committed to that and, 
and it's only going to make you a better referee. So I think that's super important. And what does a referee look like? A perfect, I have no a idea. perfect referee. <laughs> yeah. A perfect referee. I don't know that we've ever found a perfect referee, so I can't um, tell you what they look like. But again, you know, they're, they're kind of the whole package, right? They're, mm-hmm. they're, they're, they're fit, they're fast, they're good at interpreting the laws, they understand the game, they're having fun because you can always tell when a referee is having fun and when they're not having fun. And, um, but I can't tell you what they look like because we haven't found one and I would hate to speculate on what, uh, <laughs> what they're going to look like in the future. Oh, that's, that's great. Um, I, the last question I have, um, is normally, uh, if you have a room full of young aspiring referees, what three pieces of advice would you give them? But you kind of touched on the qualities <laughs> that they need. Um, so yeah, if you had any specific advice, that would be great. I, I think the other thing that I'd like to add is being, um, being a female referee um, is still not where we need it to be, right? So, so there's there, hopefully there's some female referees listening to this or people who are interested in becoming a, a referee. Um, have you got any advice to those specifically as well? Sure. So, I mean, the first advice that I give is surround yourself with good people. And that doesn't only mean soccer people but that means people that are going to support your goals as a referee. So I think it's super important to have mentors. Mm -hmm. So especially as a young referee, I think, you know, we lose a lot of young referees because of some of the the difficult parts of refereeing and and being young and having to deal with adults and parents is very difficult. Right. And and it's very different than my reality today. You know, Mm -hmm. I can still remember, and I think it takes way more courage to walk out on a local pitch with 50 or 100 parents than it does to walk out into a stadium with 50,000 people that I'll never hear because it's just a mom, a mom or a boo or a, you know, <laughs> yes, it's a loud boo, but it's not personal. And I can still remember being on a field with all these, you can hear exactly what they're saying. Oh, she's a girl or, oh, that's terrible. You know, that kind mm-hmm. of thing you can, and it's a very personal, it's a very different thing. So you need to surround yourself with the people that are going to help you through those difficult times, whether it's your dad who comes out to watch you cheer when you're refereeing or whether it's other refer the refereeing community can be really helpful for that. Mm-hmm. I think it's super important. So that's the first thing, surround yourself with great people. Um, the second thing is never, never, never stop learning. You know, I say the hardest thing is your first level at every game and that's, because of the experience right Mm -hmm. it's because the second game is always easier because you feel like you have that experience and so if you continue learning and you reach out to other referees and you watch games and and that's going to give you some tools in your toolbox that you you're not just because you haven't refereed that level you'll you'll have those tools so super important it never ends I learn every day I watch videos I do video tests and I get answers wrong and sometimes I shoot myself in the foot mm-hmm. and I'm like, why did I get that question wrong? But just if, if you're not learning and not moving forward, then it, it, you know, it, you kind of become stagnant and it's, you know, in my opinion, it's, it's a lot of work and it's not very always super rewarding when you're getting yelled at for nothing, mm-hmm. if you're not uh, wanting to learn. And the last thing is have fun. You know, uh, I, it's cliche to say, and I know people say it's cliche to say, but you know, me being away from the field now for 10 months, I, I don't think I knew how much I loved it. Mm-hmm. Like, I knew I, lo- I knew I loved it, but I don't actually think I know how much. Like, I'm almost going to cry now just talking <laughs> about it, right? Like, I'm, I wish I was on the field. So enjoy every single moment. Yeah. 
I think that's the most important. I think the friends I've made, like I said, these, this community of people that it doesn't matter where they come from. I mean, look, Hassan, we've never met in person. There you go. And it's yeah. just this amazing community of people. And so enjoy it. And, you know, whether it's, yes, it sucks to go out and run and it's dark and you're hot and it's, or you're, you know, it's this terrible training that everyone feels terrible after. Well, isn't it more fun when there's another referee beside you doing the same thing and mm. is bent over breathing hard? Like, it, it, you know, enjoy the game. It's, uh, I think it's, you know, it's, uh, the world's game for a reason and, uh, enjoy it. So that would be my, my three pieces of advice. Amazing. Um, for the women, I mean, the advice is exactly the same. The advice is exactly the same, but I think, um, you know, I think now is more evident than ever that we have our place in this game and that, um, you know, the world is our oyster. There are so many opportunities at whatever level you want to be a referee at. It doesn't mean you need to want to be a FIFA referee. Um, if, you know, whatever level you want to, you want to be, you can, there's going to be an opportunity. That's there's going to be an opportunity for sure. No, uh, amazing. Um, you, you've got me uh, welling up a little bit now. <laughs> I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. I, I, I've never refereed anywhere near the heights you have, but um, one year I took a year out because um, I thought, ah, I, I don't need it. And then when I got back on, um, I didn't realize how much I missed it until I went and refereed another game. And I was just like, oh, yeah. hold, hold on. So I feel like that's a a very poignant like everyone's probably feeling that same emotion right now um and I, and I think um when those whistles start sounding again i think everyone's just gonna feel this relief whether you're a referee a player or a coach um so that's great uh caroline it was um a, an absolute pleasure it was um one of the most enjoyable conversations i've had and i'm so glad that we can share this with with our community when we when we get this going so thank you so much for your time Awesome. Thanks so much, guys.